0: Today will be in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. It's on the screen. It'll stay there the whole time. It's there. You can open your Bible. You can open the Pew Bible uh, to the page number that's listed there on the screen. But the whole sermon will be Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. It's just one verse for us today. Do you remember a time when you heard a single Bible verse and it just struck you powerfully? Was there ever a time in your life when just a single verse hit you like lightning and changed everything for you? I was a teenager at youth camp one time. And it was like every year of youth camp, I went every summer and had a great time. And uh, I had plans this particular summer to also have a great time and just have a lot of fun and do zip lines and all sorts of inflatables and summer camp things. And I had a great time, and like every summer camp, the speaker was kind of funny and entertaining and, and it was good, and I vaguely remember the things that he said. But what I really remember is this one verse that I, which I wasn't one to open my Bible that much, but I did that time, and I opened my Bible to the verse that he said, and the verse that he read for us just struck me so much. It was Galatians 2.20. I was crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith now in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I remember reading that, that verse, and I didn't hear anything else He said that night because I was just reading that verse again and again, and I kept going back to that verse later that night and in the next week, and that verse just, just struck me so much that summer. I was working on a golf course when I got back, and as I was out there in the weeds, uh, weed-eating things around a lake. I was a a college student, or I was a high school student, rather, so I was a very low man on the golf course, and I I just weed it around lakes. I was the guy who had to fend off the snakes and just hope everything was going to work out. I found a lot of golf balls, but I remember just weed-eating around the lake, and that verse just came to me in my mind again it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and that all of my life now, being a Christian, was given over to Christ because He purchased my life, at great cost. And so now I was set free from sin and I was His because He loved me and gave Himself for me. And that verse just changed my life. I was talking this week with one of our church members who has this very vivid memory that influenced him so much as he was coming to faith. When he was a young man in his grandparents' house, they weren't believers. His grandmother Jewish and his grandfather very nominal in his faith. They just weren't believers or following anything, but But they had this little porcelain figurine, statue and plate, you know, set up on on the plate stand in their house, and it was the Lord's Prayer. It was the first time that he saw that Lord's Prayer and read that as just one of the various trinkets at his grandparents' house. But it struck him as so powerful, they, not even believers, but this, this prayer stuck with him, "'Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.'" I was reading a book this week by one of the best thinkers uh, about congregationalism, our kind of church governance, Uh, Jonathan Lehman, who's fantastic at writing about excellent Baptist practice and excellent church governance. It's a pretty narrow field of people like me who want to read and think about how to be excellent congregationalists, but here we are. It's absolutely our wheelhouse. I was reading a book by him this week, and he was talking about a Nigerian believer that he knows, a pastor, who grew up in a Muslim area of Nigeria. And so the whole community and culture was very anti Christian, and yet somebody, a missionary, gave him a Bible one time. And he took this Bible because where he lived, cigarette papers were very expensive. And he knew he could roll up his tobacco and marijuana in, in these Bible pages, and that was going to be cheap. So he took the Bible because he thought, this is perfect. I don't have to buy papers. And as he was going through and rolling through the Bible, he tore out a page one day, and it was a psalm that said, "'Taste and see that the Lord is good.'" And this Nigerian teenager who's not at all interested in God read this verse, "'Taste and see that the Lord is good,' and he just stuck it in his pocket and kept pulling it out over the next two weeks, that verse, "'Taste and see that the Lord is good.'" And he went back and found the missionary and he said, tell me more about this God. And he kneeled down and prayed, I want to know that you are good, God. I want to know the good God. He became a believer and is now a pastor to Muslims in Nigeria. Do you remember when you heard the word of God and it struck you to the core? I want to encourage you today, this one thing that you can trust The Word of God to do the work of God. And I want to insist on that and think about that only today, on our first Sunday together this year, is that you can all year long rely on the fact that the Word of God will do what it is set out to do, that the Word of God will accomplish the work of God. Our passage for today is Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald, the feet of the messenger, who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's it. And there's a whole lot here, each clause, each phrase, each piece of this summarizes all that we are doing and all that we need to do on our trust of the Word of God. As you trust that the Word of God will do the work of God, that God's Word, just like it struck me one time, it has struck you perhaps, or don't worry, give it a moment, it will. The Holy Spirit is at work, and the Spirit empowers the Word, and we have the Word and the Spirit together. You have this life-changing force in all of our lives. There is work for you to do as well. And what is your work according to this verse? You're a messenger. If you want to be fancy, a herald. What is a herald except a messenger? You're the delivery boy. You are, if it suits you, the mail carrier for God. You're not the one who creates the message, none of us. We're not the ones who I mean, when you have to deliver something to somebody else, you know, when, when you have this faith and you have this Word of God now, and you know somebody else who needs it, what is your role in somebody else coming to trust Christ? You, my friend, are nothing but a messenger. You're not an apologist. You don't have to have the best argument or the right case to be made, although… Apologetics is very helpful and will help you think through things and help you understand what you're talking about and answer critiques from the culture. Primarily what you are is not an apologist, but a messenger. You go to deliver a message, and the message powered by the Holy Spirit is the thing that shakes somebody's life, is the thing that will change them. You are not a PR person, you're not God's public relations angle to set things right for people and to, to smooth things over, to grease them on into the church. You're not God's HR person to make things suitable and acceptable and bring about agreement and peace. You're not a salesman for God. There's very little glitz that needs to happen when, after all, it's the Holy Spirit and the Word that do the work. All you have to do is take the Word to people. You and I, we are little more than a messenger because the Word of God does the work of God. But there is work left for you and I to do, and what is it? It's to take the Word of God to people so that they can hear it. Paul, the apostle, will take this verse and in Romans say, how is anybody ever going to know God? Was there a time in your life, can you remember, before somebody shared the gospel with you? Perhaps you were not raised in church. But there was a time when someone came and shared the gospel with you and told you about Christ. What would your life have been like if that never happened? The Word does the work, but we are the delivery boys. We are the messengers who take it to people and say, hey, listen, you're right, I don't have a great argument, I'm not a great apologist, but I I know this is true and, and this is a message that God has for you and that's this, the righteous live by faith, that all those who go to Him, He doesn't lose one of them. I just want to share the Word of God with you, and that is this, that God has so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. There's the message. I've delivered it. Why don't you come and trust it like I do? The message does the work. When I arrived here as a pastor, you know, one of the first things that I said I was, I was going to set out to do wasn't to change anything necessarily. Uh, job one for me as a pastor at Toledo was not to, to fix stuff, to change stuff. Surely there were some interpersonal things we needed to sort through. There always are and there always will be. It's just the nature of having a group of people together. There'll be some interpersonal things that we've got to work together and create peace. It's not natural peace. We have to create peace. So surely there's always something in this and that. But churches all of them, any of them, can get this bad attitude about themselves, like, well, nobody would want to come here. Well, nobody, you know, we can't, we're not, we're not, this isn't the kind of church that people are attracted to. We don't really have anything good going on. And the first thing I did was not to change anything or to fix stuff to attract people or style. The first thing I did was to come in and simply declare for the congregation, you have everything that you need to do the work that God has called you to do. And I've been able to say to many other churches in interim, any other search committees or pastors, not, I'm not talking to them, but as we talk to our peer churches around here, we've talked to Foreman, as we talk to South Aiken Baptist Church, and we'll say, guys, don't be discouraged. You don't have a pastor right now. That's okay. You have the Word and you have the Holy Spirit. And surely it doesn't work without a pastor. You're going to need to get one of those. <laughs> You're supposed to have one of those. But you can get one of those. You have the Word and you have the Spirit. If you will simply trust this and believe and actually deliver the Word, then the Spirit will do the work of the Spirit because God desires their salvation. The Spirit wants to change people's life. And nothing will stop the Spirit from His work. And so let nothing stop the messenger from delivering. As I say to this church and I've said to other churches, I say to you today, you don't need to grow in some way before you deliver the message to somebody else. You do need to grow by all means. (laughs) Please continue to grow in your faith. You are not lacking anything that you need today to do the work that God has in front of you because God's calling for you is the same as me and every other Christians. We are messengers and you have the message already. What is that message? What is the news that we are sharing? We have it in this verse. We have it on the screen. And I was very taken by uh, a short 12-minute video that Katie Faust put out recently. She's a pastor's wife, and she was talking about prioritizing uh, what children need over what adults want. I sent this out to you uh, in a uh, pastor newsletter. My Sunday school class and I watched it one Sunday morning here, and we talked about it, but I was just struck by how powerful her rhetorical beginning was. You know, when she's talking about marriage and what's best for children and refocusing on the primary and important things, she began by talking about Vince Lombardi with the 1961 Packers. She said, you know, the Packers lost the national championship to the Eagles of all people, and they lost bad that year. And it's Vince Lombardi and his team, and they got embarrassed. And so he shows up the next year, at training camp on the very first day, and where you might expect the head coach to give you an inspirational talk and talk about your new plans and your new plays, all he did was walk into the locker room and hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. Perhaps, perhaps one of the most influential and memorable lines in football. We're going back all the way to the basics, he said to them, this is a football. Likewise today, yeah, the next year they won the, net. They won the championships. <laughs> they did it by focusing on fundamentals and remembering the basic pieces, and that's what we are here to do today. Let us refocus and remember, what is it that God has called you to do? What is the purpose of your life in Christ? He has made you into His messenger. You are to deliver a message Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose focus. Don't think you have to be somebody you're not or say something that you don't know what to say or have pretty words to communicate. His words, the ones that do the work. Let us be faithful is the only adjective that can be described about a good messenger in Christ. The one who will be given accolades by God is the one who was faithful in delivery but what is the message? Let's continue on staying with the basics. What, what is that message? What is the good news? Well, as this verse says, first of all, we are ones who proclaim peace. The good news is good indeed. We're the ones who proclaim peace. I love this so much because the world is not naturally a peaceful place. You know, there's some who said, well, you know, if we just left people alone, they'd just all be fine and and peaceful to themselves. That's not actually how it works. If you look back at any portion of history, the norm for the world is violence, and the norm for the world is drama and conflict. If you had a peaceful family Christmas with everyone in your extended family, it's the grace of God or somebody was trying really hard. The natural thing is not peace but division, and by nature, we're not peaceful people. We're people of drama and we're people of sin, and we sin against each other, and that's the nature. I recently watched the first episode of a new TV series. I've told you regularly, I can only watch comedies. i don't got room in my life for drama. Uh, I can't can't do that before I go to bed. If I'm going to watch something, it's going to be something funny that I've already seen before, several times, 22 minutes of it without commercials, and I'm going to sleep. That's all I have time for in life. I'm not interested in anything else. But, you know, over Christmas break, we had some time, and so I watched the first episode of the very, very popular drama Yellowstone. Yellowstone? It's about a powerful family in what? Is it Montana? Where is this? Yeah, Montana, how about? It's a powerful family in Montana, and there were some... I just watched the first episode. I can't watch any more of it. It It's too much drama. I watched the first episode. It's a powerful family. There's some great lines in it. There's some cool little one-liner lines, and there's some great acting, and what's-his-face? The patriarch, you know, the actor, whatever his name is. Kevin Costner, yeah, yeah. He did a great job. I mean, he played a grizzled old rancher with the best of them. It was, it was well done, and it was dramatic, but the family had interpersonal turmoil, and they, they made bad decisions about what they were going to do with their neighbors who were around them and set themselves up for more drama and turmoil and violence across the next however many seasons they've done of this show now. I don't know and can't keep up, and I'm not planning on it either. It's just too much drama. It was well done, but I, I just... I've got great news for you. Our God is a God who declares peace. Peace amongst all kinds of different people, who draws people together from all over the place, of all kinds of backgrounds, and says, Peace, peace, peace. I remember one of those one liners from, uh, from Yellow said at the end of the show, the daughter in the family says something like, Who do you want me to fight, pick a fight with? And the dad says, Everyone. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) You, dear Christian, ask me, who does God want me to make peace with? Everyone. The peace of God starts this way. The primary drama, the primary brokenness and disunity is you with God. We were made by Him to know Him and have a relationship with Him. Adam and Eve walked with Him. And the first relationship that sin breaks is their relationship with God. They can no longer walk with Him. It breaks the relationship with each other too and everyone else. And so the first relationship to see peace is yours with Him. God Himself, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could have peace with God. He has so desired to have healing and peace with you that He has done this before you were born. I am here today as a messenger, and the message that I'm proclaiming to you is peace. God has peace for you. As an outflowing of that peace, you will, this good news will, His Holy Spirit will begin to create peace with the people around you so far as they will have it. God's desire for you, the good news, the message today is peace, peace to those who are far away, and peace to those who are near. It is a violent, drama-filled, evil world, but Christ has declared peace to you and your life and is drawing together a group and a nation of peaceful people in Him. Come and have peace. I have as a second illustration here, if that wasn't good enough for you, all of the recent political drama this past week. Do we need to talk about that one, or should we? Suffice it to say, peace is what God has called us to, and elsewhere, drama is what is normal. That's enough for that illustration. Let's keep going on. The messenger pronounces peace. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, and who bring good news of good things. The messenger brings tidings that are good. What is the good news? Let's go back to the fundamentals and the very basics of our faith. They're all we need. What is the good news? It's good news of knowing that God has shown favor on you. Would you like to use the word of choosing? It's the good news that God has chosen you you god has had favor on you listen to scripture here's the message but god who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us has made us alive with christ even though we were dead in our trespasses you are saved by grace that's the message God has shown mercy on us. Why? Because of the great love with which He has loved us. This is Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. The good news today is that God cares for you, that God is with you even now, and that God is for you. Here's the message from Scripture. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Will you hear this message today and believe it? That is First Peter chapter 5. The good news for you today is the forgiveness of sins. Here's the message I'm going to deliver to you today, straight from Scripture. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed your sins from you. Psalm 103. There's the message. Do you believe it? Will you receive this message? The good news that God has for us is a news of transformation. He doesn't just forgive our sins and then leave us the sad sacks that we are in our sin. God is transforming you by His Word if you are in Christ Jesus. I have a message for you today about His transformation. Are you ready? If anyone is in Christ Jesus, He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see? The new has come. This is the message from God for you today. Will you receive it? Do you trust it and believe it? Second Corinthians chapter five. The good news is freedom from sin's enslavement. Have you ever felt like you were a slave to sin? Have you known that temptation was coming on in your life and you didn't want to do it, but you felt like you just were going to anyway? Scripture says that before we trust Christ Jesus, we are slaves to sin. You have no ability. Temptation's going to come, you're going to sin. But in Christ Jesus, we are no longer slaves. He has broken the shackles. Temptation will come. You might sin, but you don't have to. Put your trust in Christ and fight in the Spirit. The good news is the freedom from sin's enslavement. Are you ready for the message? Here it is. You have been set free from sin, and you have become enslaved to righteousness now. Romans chapter 6. The good news is good news of salvation. This is the last thing on our passage here. The verse we read is this. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of the messenger who proclaims peace who brings news of good things, and who proclaims salvation." Salvation means being saved from something. What, what do people need to be saved from? What are the sorts of things that people need to be saved from? Poverty? Yes. Empty stomachs? Yes, absolutely. Oppression? Oppressive governments? Yes, absolutely war, tyranny, even death. But the primary thing that we are saved from is the justice from God that is coming our way because we are sinners. You and I have done wrong many times over, and justice comes The justice we deserve, our day in court is coming at us like a train from the future and it will not be stopped. The justice of God will come right on time and it will be right to be poured out on you and I who have done so much sin. But the good news that I have that has come to you because God has been so kind to you and to me, He sent the good news ahead of the judgment and the good news is this, that God's desire is that you be forgiven of your sins, that Christ has already paid for them. I have a message for you from Scripture. Would you like it? Jesus Himself says, "'This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none that He has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father.'" that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the will of the Father, that you should be saved from sin and death. The message is perfect. My feet are not expressly beautiful. Mine are more like a hobbit's foot, honestly, if we're talking about it. But the message... The message is so good, the news is so good, and the news is this, that we are here today to proclaim peace, and we are here today to proclaim good news, and we are here today to proclaim salvation from sin and even from death. And finally, the last message, we are the messengers who say to Zion, your God reigns. We have a way of saying that we Christians, we Baptists, and that is Jesus is Lord. I have a message for you today. Jesus is Lord. Our God reigns. I, uh, I always have a good time when I'm talking in prospective member class, because every time everyone comes through a prospective member class, you'll hear this. If you haven't been through it before, come along. We have them once every month, every six weeks or so. We'll, we'll just meet right here, and I'll tell you everything there is to know about being a member at Talaitha. I'll give you the 45-minute version, and we'll have a quick one. But One of the things I like to tell people, especially if they're longtime Baptists or have had struggles at other churches, they always lean in to listen when I say, talk about church governance, how is our church governed? I say. And I have some of them who've been hurt before from some other church somewhere. kind of lean in. I want to make sure I get this. I say, What kind of church does our, what kind of governance does our church have? What kind of government are we? I tell them, Our church is a monarchy. We have a king. His name is Jesus, and he always gets what he wants from this church. And that. I get to see the transformation of joy in people's face. who were surprised to hear this. A monarch, what? where are we going? It is King Jesus who governs the saints, who rules his kingdom. Yeah, we're congregationalists. The step below that is that we are governed by the saints, but we are ruled by the Savior. And Jesus Christ is our Lord. And I love getting to pronounce that to people who have never really thought about how churches get run and how church governments work. And to take a moment to think, this church... We are citizens of a kingdom, and we have a king, and he rules completely, and that is such good news <laughs> because everything that he wants for us is good, and everything that he has done for us and good, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. The message today is this. We are here to proclaim peace. You, friend, God has a calling on your life, Get a job, by all means, have a career, these things are important, and God may have a calling for a specific one for you, and if not, just anyone, but He has a purpose for you in life, and that is to be a messenger. Just as somebody came to you and delivered a message to you once, you must deliver this message to your children, and to your siblings, and to your parents, and to your neighbors, and on into the end of the world, messengers and nothing more. But the message that we proclaim is good, and it is this. It is a message of peace. It is a message of good tidings. It is a message of salvation, and it is the message that Jesus Christ reigns. I have a few things that I want you to do this year. Number one, I want you to trust the Word of God, to do the work of God. You already have everything that you need to do what God has called you to do in life. You need no further training. It's always good, by all means, keep re-upping, do whatever Bible studies and trainings you can, but you have what you need if you have the Word and the Spirit. Second, I want you to do the work of God by delivering His message. Third, I want you to proclaim the Word of God in 100 different ways. How can you do it? Social media post, text message, phone call, write it down and send a darn letter, pass a note, it doesn't matter, go and tell somebody, wake up in the morning to read Scripture and then go, hey, look, just listen to me for a second, we're going to read this, I know it's a busy, distracted morning, just look at what I just read and how good it is, but I want you to be the one who delivers the message again and again, write it down, stick it on somebody's mirror, put it up their windshield, in a hundred different ways, deliver the message I want you this year to come and let us read the Bible together. If the message is received, then call some friends together and say, let's read the gospel, the gospel of Mark. It's short. It's just a couple of chapters, and it talks all about Jesus. Let's read it together. I don't know what it all means, and I'm not going to have any good answers for you, but we're going to read it together, and we'll see if we can't come to what it all means, and if not, we'll ask somebody else. I want you finally to believe yourself. The message that I am delivering to you today. The message is a message of peace from God and with God. The message is good news for you and your life. The message is of salvation from sin and from death. The message is eternal life. The message is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us rejoice. Father God, I thank you that you sought us out, and that you sent your messenger to me and to all of us. I pray that when we hear it, we would believe it. I pray that you'd send your spirit out as you already are ahead of the message. I pray that we would remain focused on these fundamental things and not be distracted from them. Father God, I pray that the person who's hearing this for the first time today, that you'd put your spirit on their life and shake them like you shook me. And that they would believe it and follow you. As I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to